Let us pray once again. Oh God, what a friend we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we can come now again to freely open your words. And we pray that you will speak to us of the joyful and wonderful ending of this story that we have gone through in books pa- in weeks past, Lord, that you will open our eyes, Lord, and apply this truth in our hearts, Lord, and grant us encouragement that you will indeed use your words for the strengthening of your saint, Lord, and the salvation of sinner. Be with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Presbyterian minister, John Mary, has... Uh, book a small little book that now has been going through reprint which is called redemption accomplished and applied it's a small tiny book where he deals with the the death of christ and why is it important to speak of redemption in terms of some work that has been accomplished by christ but also effectively applied to the believer that And here I quote what John Murray has to say. Christ did not put man in a quote-unquote redeemable position. But he actually, practically, and fully redeemed to himself a people. That is what Christ has done. Not only has made salvation available, but he makes it actually real. For those to whom he died. That is the meaning of redemption. That sinful humans like me and you are bought back. He bought us back. That is what redemption means. From the bondage of sin. And now he opens for us a relationship with him. Which is close in some sense to this theme of redemption through the book of Ruth that we saw, but it's particularly close in the ending of this story as we enter a marriage between Boaz and Ruth. The marriage picture, just like Hosea, you remember, I mentioned last time, was buying back Gomer, who was in the marketplace, and he bought her back. He redeemed her from all of her sin. So... Boaz redeems Ruth. Bought back, redeemed by Boaz to perpetrate the memory of this person from Bethlehem who had died, Elimelech and Malon in particular, the husband, the deceased husband of of Ruth. So redemption takes place through this payment of of, of a ransom. And in this case, is this agreement, this story, this ending of the story, but the ultimate redemption takes place with Christ paying through the death on the cross. And He did not come, and He did not die to make us redeemable from our sins, but He actually bought us back from sin to actually bring us back into this relationship with God. Friends, redemption is needed by you and me, and by Ruth, and it is provided. We saw in chapter 1, it was needed by 
by Naomi and Ruth. In chapter 2 it was provided for Ruth, just like it is provided for you. In, it is promised, last, last week we saw this, but now it makes no sense if it is not accomplished and applied. That's why we come to this final chapter. This mission accomplished. It is finished. The redemption has been provided. And the end of this story of the book of Ruth does not leave us hanging. That Boaz, the Redeemer, redeems Ruth. We come therefore here in verses 1 to 22 to the end of the story. Last week, uh, if you were here, Ruth and Boaz had this agreement to act on behalf of each other. And Naomi had finished the chapter 3 with some good hopes of this actually taking place. And now we come to the city gates, and because in ancient days that's where business took place. There we have Boaz who gathers witnesses to then face this mysterious competing relative, which is the first complication of this last chapter of the story. There needs to be some negotiation to redeem, buy back, be the guardian of the family interest of Naomi. And Naomi's land must be acquired to shelter and father the, the, the widows and give a son to perpetrate the memory of Elimelech, Malon, Kilion, who had died if you were here weeks ago as they went to the land of Moab. However, it is not an offer free of charge. It has to happen with the second complication by marrying a Moabite, which is not a Jewish woman. However, she's a believer. We already seen from chapter 1 her faith in the God of Israel as she is a proselyte for the God of Israel. Now the relative answers that he cannot afford, so he allows Boaz to redeem it. Boaz keeps the promise that he gave in last week to Ruth. All the obstacles are removed. The two are now accepted in the community. Not only that, they even conceive a son, which is the security that had been lost in the beginning as Naomi had lost her husband and her two sons-in-law from the widow, from the bitterness of chapter 1, we come now to the regaining of all redemption. The crowning of all the expectation. As you read this chapter, you see the happy ending in this beautiful picture of marriage. I know Rick and Lena are celebrating 36 years of marriage this week. And this sermon, we could say, it's kind of for them. Boaz and Ruth get married. The beauty of this happy ending is that Boaz as a youth, a young faithful wife, Ruth finds true loyal love in Boaz. She finds safety, abundant provision. And the more sweet is how Naomi ages in peace, now provided for. Not only that, but she takes in her hand this baby child. I mean, that's, that couldn't be more beautiful ending to the story. Not only there's a security that is present through the son, however, but it is a long-term impact that now is unfolded for you. That Ruth, the Moabite convert, will have a permanent prominence in Israel's eternal future history forever. 
because she will become the great grandma of King David. Which means this Moabite woman who puts her, finds refuge in the wings of Yahweh becomes involved in securing the eternal kingdom of David. Which ultimately leads us to all of us. Ruth involves all of us because we are non-Jewish people who believe in the son of David that comes from that same line. We trust in Christ, the son of David. And in fact, we could say that permanent redemption is secured not only for, by Boaz, for these two widows, but ultimately by Christ. For the future Israel of of, for the future history of Israel, but also for all the nations, and therefore for all of us. Redemption is therefore accomplished and applied. Let us look therefore how this redemption is accomplished and applied. Verses 1 through 10, the first is that by Boaz redeeming Ruth, this is actually takes place. First through the complication of this relative who pretends to redeem. Verses 1 and 2, 4. In collection to last week, Boaz has to go straight to find a solution to the dilemma that he had told Ruth, that there is another closer relative to me. So he goes to the gate of Bethlehem to solve this. Uh, because obviously, if you had to solve business of any kind in ancient times, you went to the gate of, of the city. It's like going today to the town hall, if you have any bureaucratic issue to solve. And there he happens to find a kinsman, this close relative, which he talked about with Ruth. And he has the right to reclaim the property of Noemi, according to the Old Testament law that we saw in past weeks, because there's this uh, law of Leverites, which says if the deceased died, then someone from his family needs to perpetrate and give a son. So he has the right closer than Boaz. Probably he's a closer relative than even Boaz to Naomi. And remember this, this figure of the Redeemer needed to guard the family interest. He's responsible to take care for widows like Naomi and Ruth of their deceased relative. And Boaz by law cannot bypass this competing Redeemer. He's a very mysterious figure, notice that. We don't even know his name in these first verses. Which might hint to the role of this man in the story is actually not that good. He is not. The author wants you to see that he's not a man of character who cares for the needy like Boaz. But as we will see, he acts in a very selfish and almost judgmental way toward, toward Ruth. So Boaz has to call him aside. He calls the elders... Because he's got some business to solve. And there's almost a context that now happens between those two redeemers. Verse 3 to 4 begins this diatribe. The closest relative, uh, he speaks to him. Boaz tells him that Naomi has come back from Moab. And, uh, and Boaz is almost making a bait here. He's saying she's selling the piece of land of Elimelech, the deceased husband of Naomi. And we can't let this happen. Boaz, however, clarified the concern. I wanted to inform you, almost like a legal notice, so that you may buy it back. You may acquire, redeem it in the presence of 
everyone. Because you have the right of a kinsman. You have that option. And do let me know, boss says, because I'm next in line. And now this mysterious potential redeemer is possibly attracted by the prospect of more lands and possessions. And so he says, I'll, I'll redeem it. And so you will say, oh, well, we're done. The, the story is over. I mean, the situation has gotten out of hand. Boaz loses Ruth. The love story is now ended. However, almost as a su surprise effect in verse 5, Boaz says, on the day you do that, you must also buy Ruth, a Moabitess, which he emphasizes here. Moabites, remember, are the enemies of Israel at this time. Because you, you must rise the name of the dead. However, this man is caught. And his, verse 6 says, I cannot do that. And his answer actually reveals to you the estimation that he had toward the Moabites, as well as his personal priorities. He says, I cannot redeem it unless I ruin the my inheritance. So... By marrying Ruth, he would jeopardize the inheritance of other children being diminished. I mean, such a selfishness in this man. In sharp contrast to Boaz, as we saw in past weeks. But now in verse 7 to 10, to finalize this, the transaction, we have another older customs like the one we saw last week, uncovering one's feet. We now have taking off of sandals to to signify that you now have the right to walk the land as the owner of the land and you give it to the other party so now this other redeemer is giving his right of redemption to Boaz and it's almost I mean what to us will appear as an insult it was the way you signed the deal in the old days throwing a shoe and I mean it was a legally binding act Signing a contract, we could say. At this point, Boaz speaks to everyone and says, You are a witness today, verse 9 to 10, that I redeem everything that Elimelech had, including Ruth as his wife, so that the name of the dead may not be cut off among his brethren. The property remains among the family of the tribes of Israel. And according to Old Testament law, particularly the civic law that implied that they had to maintain the 12 tribes, these properties, and not shift it from one tribe to the next. And therefore, if one has died, someone in the family comes in. In this case, Boaz. And the, the family name continues. The reputation has been redeemed. And... And this is, this is a done deal. So Boaz accomplished redemption by, by redeeming Ruth. But secondly, redemption is accomplished by Ruth giving Naomi a family. Because that is the, the beauty of the story. It's now that verse 11 to 22, the redemption is concluded. Everyone in town is actually positive. Despite the fact she's a Moabite, they have seen her true faith in the living God. And they send actually a great blessing, which is almost prophetic, to, to Boaz. He says, may your wife Ruth be like Rachel and Leah. You know, Leah was, and Rachel, were, but particularly Leah, were able to populate Israel, Jacob, 
despite her husband being uncooperative, and they were, she was able to give him so many children and build the house of Israel. So they're wishing fruitfulness. They twelve children of Jacob, and they claim that Israel will be strengthened by the union that will take place between Ruth and Boaz, which again is prophetic here, as we will see, because it leads to David and the building the house of David. They don't know what's what's just about to happen. But they send this blessing. May God prosper you and make your name renowned in Bethlehem. They wish for the family name to be perpetuated. But again, the focus is the unlikely miraculous surrounding that led people to speak about. Here comes Naomi. She had nothing and now she has found shelter. And not only that, but she becomes the ancestor of the great King David. The blessing continues by mentioning Perez, who was an ancestor of Boaz. Perez was born from Tamar. If you know, in Genesis chapter 38, there's the story of Tamar. But just like here, Perez was born from Tamar by a surrogate father, Judah. And like Boaz over Malon and Kilion, Perez almost made a breach after the death of her husband. And his brother, Onan... You know that story because he failed to fulfill the duty of this precise Old Testament law of the Leverite. That you go and raise the name of the family. In fact, that man had been put to death to failing to obey this law in Genesis 38. And so prophetically he brings this offspring which is we could say the blessing of the coming king David. And in verse 13, we have the ending of the story. The two get married and they have a son. Notice from the text that it is the Lord who enabled them to have this son. And in verse 14 to 15, it's a, it's a birth that reminds us of those miraculous births like Isaac or Samuel or John the Baptist. This is a special birth. There's something special about the child that the author of Ruth wants you to see. That the news of the child has caused great rejoicing among the women in Bethlehem. Does that ring you a bell? That perhaps a Christmas bell. That unto us a child is born in Bethlehem. They praise God for Boaz. Who is a close relative. From in front of Naomi. The child is described as famous. Even a restorer of life. Verse 15. Literally the one who turns you back to life, Naomi. Which really resurrects the hope of Naomi. And brings comfort to her old age. Providing her, but also restoring her lost youth, you could say. Making her look young again by the joy of this grandchild. And what to say of Ruth, the young woman in in, uh, in Bethlehem says is she's better than seven sons. Seven was the number of perfection, which is a symbol of great blessing. And so all of this is found in Ruth, one woman who would have thought that this Moabite would have done all of this. And verse 16 to 17, Naomi, that's the tender picture of our ending, takes the child, lays it on her bosom. The tender and sweet, joyful image of our grandma. 
You remember that old crabby, bitter widow of chapter 1 who had lost everything? And she was saying, call me Mara. The Lord end is against me. I, I'm undone. Here you have her. Where is she? She's nursing like a caregiver or a foster grandma taking care of her grandson, looking after him. The story in past weeks all the way to this is a movement from death to life. From despair to hope, from barrenness to fruitfulness, from sorrow to joy. To the point that the women of Bethlehem spread the news and says, A child is born in Bethlehem for Naomi. To Naomi. doesn't say from Ruth, but to Naomi. Because of this law of the Leverite, it's... Naomi is the oldest widow, the center of all this turnaround. She has lost so much. And she gets a grandson. And she's provided in her old age. The name of the child is also significant. The one who serves is the name of Obed. Anticipating the, the way in which Obed will help Naomi by fathering Jesse. And ultimately leading to King David. But look how this redemption is not just temporal, it's also ultimate. Verse 17 to the end of our book, the entire book. The text concludes with this genealogy. Have you ever thought about you know, speaking with someone? And you talk with that person and all of a sudden that person drops a name and tells you who he is. And you find out this is an actual famous person. This is... This is how we should feel as we come to verse 18 to 21. That this insignificant soul, this speak story of this little small town becomes absolutely central. Because it points us all of a sudden to a far greater purpose in the story. A far higher level of the providence of God that we saw last two weeks ago, remember? This providence was actually pointing not just to feed the Physical need of Naomi is far greater than in this stage of redemptive history in Israel. Ruth is a step in the road to David, who will himself be a step into the road toward Jesus. This is where Ruth and redemption, which has been the theme of this entire book, takes a whole new different meaning than just buying back the land, buying back a family name. This is the ultimate redemption accomplished in, in this wonderful picture of the great-grandma of David, Ruth. So, what do we make, friends? We have been journeying in the past four Sundays through this small book. What do we take away i just wanted to conclude this sunday with some points of lessons and takes away from the entirety of this story and i list them there for you the first one is the, the first thing that we learn from this small book of ruth is that god redeems those who are needy we started by pointing that redemption was needed precisely because God indeed cares for needy people. If there's one thing that we learn from this whole story is that 
if, and even if you look at your own life in the way that you follow the Lord for a while, you can testify to this, that God supplies all your need and He never fails you once. That none of the good promises of the Lord come to fail. None. That God cares especially for, in our case, in our text, widows. In this story, even in our church, we have the opportunity to care for the needy. Now back then, the needy was the widow because there was a financial burden. And still today, we got plenty of opportunities to obey this command of Scripture. Look at uh, James 1.27. Pure and undefiled religions before God and the Father is this. Okay? If you're looking for what is the pure, undefiled religion, wouldn't you want to make it the center of your attention? But how does verse 27 finish? Visit the widows in their afflictions. I mean, that matters to God. It reflects the Lord to care for the needy. And I'm glad, for example, that we have this uh, new project that we're stepping, many are stepping in to help Miss Joyce, who just fell down the stairs, and we're now tr- seeking to help her in this situation. That's a small example of what this is in view. But beyond widows, friend, this applies to any other need in the church. The theme of the Redeemer that we saw throughout this past four weeks involves, as we remember, intentional, propositive attitudes. And we saw this in Boaz. And I feel like some of us, we are in need of such proactiveness to, especially in the face of obstacles, just like in the story, Boaz and Ruth face obstacles. In this case today, we saw pretenders and competitors, false redeemers. Remember, God's sovereignty is at work, yes. But this story taught us that it is no excuse for us to sit back and wait for God to act. But to be active, like Ruth is active, Boaz is active, and, and, and the members of this story. Whether it's in the church, whether it's in pursuing relationship, whether it's most of all in seeking the welfare of those in need above your personal gain. Ultimately, we saw, friends, that several times in the story, all of this story is pointing us to Jesus. Who, remember, was in the form of God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be held on, but he emptied himself and he began obedient to the point of death and death on the cross. He went out of his way to redeem us, to buy us back through the ransom that he provided at the cross, satisfying divine justice. He came to a lowly, broken earth. He lived a perfect life that none of us has ever lived. He was sacrificed willingly on the cross to restore that which was lost. To buy needy sinners back out of their slavery to sin. To deliver us from the spiritual death, the spiritual bareness that we have been born out of. And we, therefore, are that modern day Ruth and Naomi who are weak and needy. But you need to be needy. You need to feel your desperation for, in order for this to make sense and to be applied into a true redemption of your life. Remember, we also saw that back then it was a world of chaos, just like it is right now. 
The book of Judges is when Ruth takes place. In the, in the midst of lawlessness, you have faithful action of simple, unnoticed and unknown people that actually make the, the real difference. And Christ is the ultimate true Redeemer we saw, who has not forsaken the loyal love, the covenant that He made with us. Because the covenant, that the love that God has for us is based for a covenant that now cannot be broken in Christ. He loves us with an everlasting love that can never run out. And so, the second thing that I wanted to point out from this story as overall is the way in which God honors sacrifice. The God richly rewards those who demonstrate sacrificial love. And again, Ruth here stands like a giant. Like we mentioned many times that she's that Proverbs 31 woman. Because again, in the Hebrew Bible, that's exactly before Ruth. We saw that to live in integrity before God, it's what matters the most. Complete integrity. The commitment, however, to integrity comes to uh, finding refuge in the Lord. That must be, friends, our patterns. The way in which widows, like the widows in our stories, were able to, rem- to survive, it was by remaining faithful to God and faithful to each other to the point of sacrifices. But most of all, faithful to God, even when it was hard, even when they could not understand You could say that their faith survived the trial and the testing and the shifting that they went through. When everything looked like, you know, God's hand had been against them. And then God overturning everything and bringing them into, into marriage, into grandchildren. Isn't that why we enter marriage, by the way? That is a public ceremony to demonstrate a lifetime sacrificial commitment that you are in it for the good and for the worse. For when it's easy and when it's not, and there is a loyalty that is here before us in the case of Ruth. We live in a world, however, that demands the contrary. Everyone wants to have their own way. Everyone wants to make shortcuts. Integrity is something that you laugh about. People don't even want to get married. You know, why do you get a piece of paper? That's how they look at marriage. But you look at Ruth and Boaz. We saw how they were driven by eternal values in their action. They made themselves accountable to the larger family of God. And they became God's instruments in helping whoever was needed. And their love lasted because it was true. It was a love that is more than just words. It was action. It was sacrifice. And in both of them we find a kind of love that is both proactive, but also wise at the same time, discerning. They use their wits and ingenuity to achieve desired result. And God sees all these acts of kindness and sacrificial love that go on in secret. And let me tell you, when you come to the end of this story, their reward exceeded their wildest imagination. No matter the obstacle, 
That if God delights in those who live according to His commands, who trust Him, even through the hardest, harshest providence, God's providence prevails over any obstacle. There are a few times when God is pleased to deliver an overflow of blessings such as this story. I mean, you wish that life would be like this, like a movie where everything is always a happy ending. However, I want you to know that this is actually better than a movie. You have a bitter widow that ends up surrounded by a son-in-law that provides financially. She has a grandson, not only to be nourished, but to nourish her. To bring hope, joy in her old age. And a daughter-in-law like a Proverbs 31, which is renovated at the city gates. I mean, Naomi is no longer bitter, is blessed, is happy. Because the end of the Almighty was not against her, was it? That's what she taught in chapter 1. But she understood that, that in that very same bitter providence, all the detours of life were actually meant to lead her back to the God of Israel. From that backsliding, going to Moab and losing it all. All that had a meaning and the eternal sovereign purpose of God to lead her back to a trust in the God of Israel. That is the happy ending. That is the, and they live happy thereafter. And that is obviously what will happen the moment that you and I cross into eternity. We look back at our life and all the disappointments and all the things that made no sense. But there is an happy ending, friend, for those who are in Christ. And it's forever. That is how God rewards loyal, loving acts. So let us not grow weary in doing good. Another point, and it's the last one, is the most important. And is the reason why I wanted to go through this book with you. Is that God accomplished an ultimate redemption that is almost a subliminal message that you get as you get through this little book. There is more to this story, friend, than just a nice tale about a girl that, that, that becomes lucky. And, and that's it. There is an ultimate redemption through the son of David that is now unpacked before your eyes as we arrive at the last word of this entire book. David, the greater delight and joy for you than considering the earthly marriage is this. It's conversion. It's trust in the son of David. Is Jesus who has done far greater redemption for me. And that should cause joy in your heart. Like Charles Spurgeon says, I thought I could have leaped from earth to heaven when I first saw my sins drowned in the Redeemer's blood. Friend, the Messiah is all over the place. Friend, redemption is all over the place in the story of Ruth. That Ruth foreshadows Christ's care for His people. The beautiful love story is intended to remind you that by faith in a greater Redeemer who descends from Ruth, you are brought back, adopted into God's family. I mean, as we journey in past weeks, we saw the, how this story screams at you. Redemption, the need of the redemption, the, the provision of redemption, the, the promise of redemption, and now the accomplishment of redemption. 
God has been proved to be faithful to His promises. Friends, we live in the hope of this gospel that God, according to His loyal, faithful love that does not change, that has been ratified by the covenant, by the death of blood and sacrifice. You remember this morning, Rick was mentioning in the Sunday school, Abraham, this covenant with Abraham, that God passes through the sacrifices to promise by blood and death that He will perform His end of the bargain. You be sure. He will accomplish and apply redemption for us. And that is ultimately the perfect redemption that has been given to us at the cross. That God has acted to bring you back. That you find Ruth and all these names mentioned even in Matthew chapter 1. If you open Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy starts with a long list. But again, I want to point out to you verse 5. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. Word for word, the ending of Ruth. That tells you that this story, as insignificant and secondary as you can think it is, is actually an essential piece in the history of redemption. Then now we come to this new covenant when the Gentiles, like me, you, Ruth, and are included in the family tree of God. From the manger of that same town, Bethlehem, unto us a child is born in Matthew chapter 1. Even though unlikely and imperfect situations, a Moabite woman, dysfunctional family relationships, Naomi going to Moab in the first place, fleeing from Bethlehem, competing redeemers, promising life without true sacrificial love, which again point to false Christ that only sees souls of men as a matter of personal profit. Despite all this, despite of all sins, despite the pagan background of Ruth and now comes to the God of Israel and acts far better than those self-proclaiming Israelites in the book of Judges, we now have the poor Naomi, Rahab, the prostitute, Tamar. Here's another dysfunctional daughter-in-law in chapter 1 of Matthew. All of them are still in the line of the Messiah. And friends, this is not an accident. But it testified on nothing else than the grace of God. And so friend, take courage. That even seemingly obscure persons like you and me can be used for eternal purposes of glory. That even family backgrounds and baggages that you can bring to the table like in this story, the gospel can redeem them and redeem your name. And what should we say of the, the same little kid that is born out of Ruth, that restores life to Ramami, that brings a resurrecting hope, a complete reversal of all the curses and hopeless despair of chapter 1. But we also see that redemption from this story is beyond the specific individual. It impacts the entirety of the community of God's people. The blessings that are in view in the story, friends, transcends your life, transcends your specific circumstances. Even your own lifetime, like in the case of Ruth 
and Naomi. I mean, the most wonderful aspect of this story is, again, the, the concluding verses of chapter 4. Is the providential ordeal that took place beside a poor, bitter widow becoming a happy grandma, which is good, it's great, it's, it's nice, but there's something greater. That now Naomi gets to partake to God's redemptive line, which ultimately leads you to the Savior. To Jesus Christ. I mean, can you imagine her joy in heaven? Now she knows all that had happened to her, including the bad choices of going to, to Moab or the tragedies. And yet here I was, part of such a grandiose plan of the Almighty God. Through all that. If you have not experienced God's redeeming grace, however, if this redemption is not yours, friend, I am pleading with you to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to remain outside of this spiritual family. But to realize that He accepts you even if you feel like the outcast that, not, that Ruth felt in, in previous chapters. I'm just a foreigner. I'm not even a servant. Even if you're bankrupt or helpless. Regardless of your pedigree. God can transform the tragedy of your sin into a joyful, eternal ending in glory. And it is not because of anything good that you have done. As we saw this morning, this heavenly marriage, it's once again here. But it starts in that little town of Bethlehem. Where we remember the family tree of Ruth leads to Christ, the greater Redeemer. So with these thoughts, let us conclude in prayer. Oh God.